This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Have you ever stopped to wonder what exactly success means to you? Is it money, fame, power, all of the above or none at all? I'm Dashran Johan and this is Redefining Success, a show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their lives, what makes them tick and what the word success means to them. My guest on today's episode is Gary Chong. He's the founder of Gary Chong Studios, which is a cinematic video production agency. Welcome to the show, Gary. Hey, thanks Dash for having me on board. How do you, Gary, define success? What does that word mean to you? Oh, that's a, that's a really huge question. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, if I might try to tackle that, you know, I always imagine having a conversation with myself from the future on my deathbed looking back. And as long as he is able to smile and say that I have had a fruitful and blessed life, that's good for me. And this filter should apply to career, business, family, even the journey of faith. So we are able to make the choices that matter in such a finite lifespan. To, to put it simply, I really feel that success has to be reverse engineered to the bigger picture of life. What do you mean and by that? To each of us, I think the bigger picture of life is so different. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't think we can pocket down what is the true definition of success. So I think what we need to try to understand is the wiring that we have. For some people, it might be a sense of accomplishment for certain things. For some people, it's totally uh, all about wealth and the, uh, the accumulation of that. For some people, it's really just about you know spending time with the family. So I really believe that uh, it's more important for us to put it in a specific mindset or filter. And if we can actually do that, that would actually be our definition of success. Right. Okay. Um, let's talk about your career. Now, you are a founder of a production house. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing like, um, you know, what led to that was, was an interest in filmmaking. If I remember um, conversations we've had in the past, um, you initially, like, like your, your whole love was towards filmmaking. When did you fall in love with filmmaking? Oh, this, this is quite an easy one. <laughs> it's actually an interesting story. So I, I come from a sleepy town called Ipoh. Right. Uh, and my late father used to bring me to the cinemas every Tuesday. Uh, I think when I was seven years old up to 15 years old. And, um, you know, in Ipoh, they didn't really care too much about the rating system at the time. So mm-hmm. they'll just let you in for every movie. <laughs> Uh, There was one time I remember my dad brought me to watch this horror movie. Uh, I think it's called Event Horizon. Uh, It's pretty scary. (laughs) So it was playing and I kept covering my face and screaming. So right after that movie ended, he brought me to the front of the cinema where the screen was. And he showed me that behind the screen there was nothing and in front of the screen there was nothing. It was just a thin sheet. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, something clicked in my in my mind, that films have this really magical power to make you laugh, cry, or even be intensely afraid. And until today, no other medium, uh, I feel, has that same power. So I, I just feel it's so enchanting, film. Yes. Right. And you know what's particularly interesting is regardless of where you are, where you live, you know, everybody, you know, you can, if you have access to films, um, uh, music, for example, you, you can grow passionate about these things, especially, you know, like yourself, your, you had a dad who was interested in movies, he brought you and w- watched various types of movies and all of that. But 
you know, I, I, I myself, uh, I'm not from KL, I'm not from um, I'm Selangor, I'm from JB. And growing up, right, while I had friends who loved films and, and things like that, none of us actually dreamed about becoming a filmmaker, especially not growing up, because it seemed like something very, you know, completely out of this world, especially growing up outside of the big city like KL, Slangor. So as a, as a kid growing up in Ipoh, right, how did you actually think like, you know, more than just like, oh, I love films, like how did you think that, wow, this is something that I actually dream of doing one day? Uh, how did you find the courage to even dream of something like that? Well, to be honest, I agree with you. The environment that we are born within or the ecosystems that we are at, uh, especially in Malaysia, right? We usually are only guided to a certain path. For example, mm. you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be an engineer, you're going to be a lawyer, you know. So um, things of the arts, you know, of filmmaking uh, per se, right. are very out of the box. And, you know, usually there isn't a support system for that. So I think for me, really, it was trying to understand. And, and one of the things maybe I can just inflect here hmm. is that I was a debater back in high school. And one of the things that when we were training, we were actually taught to actually question the status quo. Right. Not to accept what is, uh, you know, considered the linear path. So I think with that training, it, the, those were seeds which were planted um, and, you know, maybe shout out to if you're a parent, please send your kids to public speaking and debating. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll help them formulate their minds and kind of open it up. So I, I think because of that training, I had this little thought in my mind. It's like, why not? Why do I need to just tread on the, uh, you know, the normal path when I do know that I have a love for film? Uh, why not try that? But in all honesty, uh, Dash, that, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't go all the way. I mean, I didn't, um, you know, become a, you know, a starving artist for the uh, passion of filmmaking. So I think I kind of entered into uh, one foot in, one foot out, where, you know, I'm a corporate commercial filmmaker. So still involved in the art of motion pictures, but yet not in terms of full-on narrative. So I think with that, um, the understanding to just step outside of that box, um, that, that really helped uh, with my, you know, leaning towards filmmaking. Right. And that's also, you know, what you just brought up is what I want to, you know, pick your brain a little bit. Because what got you into this whole um, what, what made you fall in love with, with motion picture is a, a film, like in terms of um, a narrative-based um, feature film. Like you mentioned, mm -hmm. your dad took you to watch a horror, horror film and, you know, it, it really changed your life in that sense. But what you're doing now is, um, like you mentioned, you are a corporate um, commercial filmmaker. Why did you choose to become a commercial um, filmmaker? And do you wish that you could just make movies instead? I really think it's about business models and industries. Right. So remember I was saying that, you know, because I didn't come from an international school or a school which, uh, you know, encouraged a lot of open thinking. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think is so important is critical thinking. And my debate background actually helped me to kind of think critically. Okay, I want to enter to filmmaking. But when I study the data and do the research and corridor check and everything, it seems like it is for a majority a struggling industry, hmm. uh, especially within Malaysia. 
But then at that time, what I did was I did a lot of short films because, you know, this were, these were the days in 2010, 2011, when DSLRs just started to be the big thing. And I realized that, hey, you know what? You could take a DSLR, you could go to a corporate client and kind of shoot something which had cinematic value, yet at the same time do it at a super duper low budget. Uh, right. And then I was, you know, whilst doing that, um, at that year, I think 2010 to 2011, that season, I think I won about 18 short film awards here and there. And so a lot of these judges for these short film competitions, you know, some of them were industry uh, people. And I say right. industry, I'm not talking about the film industry, but they were actually businesses like from Mazda, car manufacturers, MNCs. Right. Um, yeah. So with that, I started to have discussions with them and they were like, hey, Gary, you know, we really like your work. Would you want to shoot something for us at X amount of budget? And at that time, that X amount of budget was insane for me. I'm like, huh? Wow. You're going to pay this amount for this <laughs> film? I right. mean, it's only a, a five minute uh, film. And they were like, yeah, but that's also on a discounted rate. Usually this is what we pay the production houses. And so at the time, it got me really interested. I was like, oh, okay. So this is how the business model and industry is when it comes to multinational corporations, when it comes to the corporate sector, when it comes to the agency game. And I started to learn, take a year to kind of do that, you know, freelance gigging and et cetera, and kind of learn the ropes. And I realized that, oh, wow. Although I would love to make narrative feature length, uh, feature length films, and that is the goal. But unlike many of my peers, you know, um, I want to take another route. And mm. the other route is to actually explore the commercial and corporate filmmaking uh, business industry in Malaysia. Uh, and, you know, 11 years later, it definitely definitely brings in the moolah because of the rules <laughs> of supply and demand. Uh, but honestly, coming back to your second question, you know, do I not wish to make feature-length narrative films. Mm -hmm. And my goal, actually, is to move forward, reach a financial goal number which I've put out where I can splurge on the budget of 10 feature films without clients, without investors, without financial backers, and make these 10 feature films, which would be my voice, uncensored, and then I can pass on, you know, right. as a old man. So I think I'm just <laughs> taking another route to achieve that goal. Uh, rather than, you know, jump both feet in, but then have to make that sacrifice to the comfortable life that, you know, my family and I are enjoying right now. Now, Gary, I'm so curious, how were you um, during your schooling days? Um, did you get good grades and did you have different interests and ambitions back in the day? You know, I, I think you should be a scriptwriter, filmmaker. You're kind of like deconstructing the days. Um, I would say above average, well, not playing with the ASEAN scholars at the time, but also not indulging with the little young and dangerous crowds if you get <laughs> Hong Kong movie puns. Uh, <laughs> in terms of grades, though, I think only in my Form 6 when I was doing my STPM, I, I kind of scored nearly straight A's due to a wonderful teacher who knocked some sense into me. But other than that, you know, uh, I had to go down that whole science stream. You know, early on, Dash, we were talking about the ecosystem, right? Right. Uh, you know, and I think really growing up in EPO, I was still in that. You know, it's kind of like the matrix. You know, you are taking the blue pill every day and you're living, you know, Thomas Anderson's life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Where I had to go to the science stream, although, you know, that really wasn't my interest. And I had to kind of push on in that. 
But I think where that red pill moment came about was when I was in Form 6. And this teacher, and his name is Mr. Karu, uh, actually looked at me and said, why are you doing what you're doing? If you can answer that question, then only you're ready to actually start your life. So he was kind of like my Morpheus. Right. I'm going to use a lot of movie puns. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> For audiences out there, I mean, uh, since we're passionate about filmmaking, then, uh, you know, maybe have to kind of read up on this. But yeah, so he gave me that red pill. And and the moment I thought to myself, yeah, I mean, why do I need to, you know, since I wasn't interested in science, people were saying, oh, Gary, you'll make a good lawyer because you're a debater and you're eloquent. I'm like, no, I mean, that's, that's not my interest. That doesn't sink. That's not my wiring. And when I took that red pill and my eyes were open, I was like, oh, I can still actually uh, pursue a career or, you know, entrepreneurship and not succumb to, you know, the whims and, and fancies of what is the straight linear path. Right. So, yeah, I mean, good teachers, you know, great um, mind opening red pills uh, that, that helps. What about your parents? I'm curious because, you know, like you said, uh, you know, you were taking the, the blue pill. Um, you were just living life status quo. And, and I think most Asian families, um, they sort of, you know, put you on a path like you brought up earlier towards a particular what people would consider sort of stable jobs, doctor, lawyer, engineer, so on and so forth. When you told your family, like, you know, you want to pursue filmmaking, that's what you want to study in your tertiary education. And, you know, potentially that's what you want to do in the future. Um, at, at that at that point, I'm, I'm, when you had this conversation with your parents, what did they? How did they react? Did they think like you were you were completely lost your mind, or were were they the kind of parents who were like, okay, I support you, you 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 know, you spread your wings and go and do do whatever it is it is that you want to do. Very good question, man. Um, the story is quite interesting. So at that time. Uh, I had this, I mean, obviously coming from a very safe educational background, right. I was like, okay, I'm going to study law, 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 law. Uh, and what happened was the moment I told them, hey, I want to pursue uh, filmmaking. And they were like, well, what's that? I'm like, it's not even mass comm. I want filmmaking. <laughs> I mean, I, I really think this is something which I jive with. Right. And they were like, okay, we don't know how to respond to this. Hold on. Let us talk to your half-brothers, half-sisters. And my half-brothers are like doctors and a professor of microbiology. <laughs> and so they were like, I think this boy is off his rocker. Maybe if he wants to do this, why don't we enroll him in the army? Because wow, <laughs> they were like, you know, in the army, he will get, you know, discipline. And at the same time, they might need some media thing here and there. And so, yeah, <laughs> table for him. So talk about the other side of the spectrum of being out right. of the box. Man. Uh, but, you know, uh, after all of that, I think my, my I, I love my dad and my mom because they were really sportive. They were like, hey, you know what? Why don't you just try it out? Um, but I, I came from a very humble background, so we didn't have the, uh, you know, the funds to actually go to a private college or whatever not. So they were like, why don't you just go to a local uni? And, uh, you know, if this is going to be a pastime at the end of that, uh, why not, you know? And so I think even though uh, it, it isn't a spectacular story which you can write about into a feature film, but, you know, that support, that love, I, I think really drove me true. And, and, it, and my family... 
Um, a lot of us love films. Uh, right. We, we, we are just like film buffs for the slasher flicks of the 80s, the Nightmare of Elm Streets, you know, the Jason Voorheeses, and action films of the 90s. Uh, until today, when I meet up with my cousins, we kind of quote Stallone, you know, Schwarzenegger. Oh, nice. You know, uh, <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, really cringe-worthy. <laughs> I mean, if you're a, you know, if... For those of you out there and you've never seen Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, or Steven Seagal in, you know, Bloodsport mm-hmm. Under Siege, you're missing out on life. <laughs> <laughs> Typical 90s over-the-top awesomeness. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, when, when something like Cobra Kai comes on Netflix right, right now, you know, the fanboy inside mm-hmm. me just screams, uh, whereas my wife will be more like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we do need to go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Gary Chong. He's the founder of Gary Chong Studios. After the break, I'll be asking him how he measures growth and what it feels like doing something he loves. We'll be back with more on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success, a show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their lives, what makes them tick and what the word success means to them. On the show with me today is Gary Chong. He's the founder of a production house, Gary Chong Studios. So, Gary, um, I'm very curious, right? A lot of people, um, when they when they think about, you know, people who are passionate about what they do, people who love what they do, especially something like your job, right? You tell people you're a commercial filmmaker and it sounds very cool, very sexy and all of that. People only look at the glamorous side of things. But do your days get drooling? Oh, okay. Um, well, number one, it is sexy. <laughs> okay, it is. Uh, but yes, the days do get grueling. Uh, it's production. You know, to be honest, uh, I'll give you an example. For my studio, uh, we used to have grueling seasons, usually two seasons a year. Okay. And this is something where it's widespread in the industry. You have the festive seasons and you have certain key pinnacle seasons. But then it became four seasons. And now... Uh, it's in a constant state of grueling seasons, but it's all in the planning and strategizing. And I think that in itself is what is exciting about the job. I think any industry um, that is out there, as long as there's a problem and you are willing to enjoy the journey towards solutions, you know, is grueling really grueling? With that in mind, right, you've been doing this for about, what, 11 years now. What drives you to keep doing what you're doing? Well, to be you know very frank, I love what I'm doing. It doesn't mm. tire me out, uh, even when it does physically due to the nature of production. And also, you know, I think I've lost the vigor of being 11 years younger. <laughs> but I always find a little smile on my face, so I think I can genuine, genuinely say I love the work. It's all about perspective. You know, to really put it in that perspective, I think amongst a lot of people who are in any industry, there's this sense of comparing with something else, which is deemed to be quote-unquote, better. But hey, honestly, how many other people will be comparing their situation to your current journey? So no matter how boring it may be, take it as a step to grow and move forward. And I feel with that mindset, you know, it doesn't hold me back. Rather, it kind of opens me to new challenges every day. So yeah, I think that's the perspective we should be having. What are some of the biggest challenges you face throughout your career as a um, you know, filmmaker, or especially so a founder of a production house? Well, because the seasons are grueling in this uh, industry, mm-hmm. making sure the mental health and positive morale of the team is really the biggest challenge. 
you know, well, if we are being really real here, uh, we want to admit that there was a time when the pressure was so high due to the juggling of too many projects at one go with tight deadlines. Uh, it burnt out quite a number of my team and right. it broke my heart a bit to see that they kind of lost faith and trust, you know, uh, in the company, no matter how we tried to stabilize and bring balance back to the environment. You know, I'm being honest here because that is the real truth. Right. You know, in the nature of production, um, it becomes really intense. So I think for filmmakers or even business owners who own, uh, you know, businesses within this industry, it's very crucial to look at the mental health and positive morale of the team. It was a painful but good learning experience. Um, and yep, sometimes the biggest challenges are not about the financial bottom lines and the clients, but getting your house in order. And how do you usually um, do this, um, get your house in order, try to boost morale? Let's say you come to work one day and during a grueling season, everybody is being overworked. And you know, you reach a point where the pe same people who are all also equally passionate, now you look and they are like, oh my God, like, I, I just cannot do this anymore i don't want to and like you said um, there's a trickle down effect or a ripple effect in in which then they start losing faith in the company um, perhaps they start getting angry at you as, as a as a boss and things like this what what do you usually do to to keep their spirits up i think the main thing is the key here is to understand and not make assumptions so let me just elaborate a little bit mm. on that you know when i was going through that season uh, I read a lot of books. I, you know, listened to a lot of podcasts, you know, even on BFM, you know, a lot of the good <laughs> content that you guys have. Uh, and, and let's paint it as a spectrum, okay? So on one side of the spectrum, you know, we have the very Silicon Valley, Google-centric kind of open system, right? Where it's like, oh, yes, we provide so many additional perks, benefits, uh, and we have flexible working hours, and, you know, uh, we have sleeping pods and foosball tables. And then you go to the other side of the coin where it's the more traditional Asian style of, of, of business where it's like, you know, it's all about the bottom lines. Right. Uh, you know, you will do everything very structurally. Uh, and uh, yeah, so these are the things that we need to do. But I realized that, you know, executing and experimenting those different things, ah, I'm just assuming that these techniques would be the plug which would actually make it better. But the truth of the matter is, it's to pause, to reflect, and then to engage with not just the employees, but also the managers and et cetera, to then say, okay, what's the problem here? How can we tackle it? And let's try it out. I, I don't think there's a magical formula or you know spell to, to make everything better at one go. But incremental one step to two step to three step. So yeah, I, I think understanding and experimenting around. Also, just to kind of uh, give a bit of input here, you know, a lot of the uh, books, podcasts, and et cetera, I, I realize one thing, mm -hmm. they're very Western in nature. Right. Very American, very Australian, very British. So a lot of the cultural um, trickle-down is kind of lost in the mix. So as Asians, especially Malaysians, sorry for using the word Asians, because, you know, Koreans are different, J Japanese right. are different. But for Malaysians, right, we have a different kind of culture, a different kind of understanding. And, you know, like, I'll give you an example. One of them actually said, uh, I just want to have, you know, just one weekend, which I'm totally off the grid. Mm -hmm. and, and that's great. But none of those, you know, books or podcasts and everything which I read, you know, which talks about hustle culture and, you know, <laughs> empowerment and flexi workouts, actually right. talks about just making sure that, 
for one day, yeah, no contact. Mm. Work whatsoever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's sometimes the the little simple things, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. And on that note, what has been your proudest moment so far? Well, I can really think of two things. Okay. Um, and well, I'm, I'm not trying to you know boast or blow the trumpet here, but since you asked the question, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first would actually be you know as a humble production studio, we have global retainers with huge multinational companies, not just in Malaysia and the Southeast Asian region, but even up to Scandinavia, Hong Kong. And after 11 years, we realized that we have a majority of MNCs in Southeast Asia as direct clients. And when we track back how we got there, uh, it wasn't because you know we spent on Google SEO or marketing, but it was because we invested in doing great work with these companies. And when the people in charge moved to other companies within their industries, they brought us along. Mm. And that's something I'm so proud of because that organic growth from eight clients to currently about 174 clients. Wow. Yeah. And when we track back that uh, that tree, it's really when, you know, 11 years ago, a middle manager who was in charge of that uh, you know, commercial project now is the CFO of a big uh, multinational bank. And so that endorsement, I feel, you know, is so, it makes us so proud because so many of times, you know, we're doing videos at the whims and fancies of clients where it's not our narrative voice. Mm-hmm. But yet, you know, 11 years later, we are seeing that trail. It's so tangible, something we're so proud of. Um, and the second one mm-hmm. would be the people who have walked through the doors of the studio. Uh, in this industry, it's extremely rare to have a talent who would come on board as a fresh graduate and stay all the way to retirement age in just one company. And that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. So I've seen a multitude of past employees, interns who have moved on to do great things on their own right. Right. Uh, yeah, because I'm I'm on social media. <laughs> you know, we started your own production houses making a name for themselves in the industry. Right. And you know what? I, I'm extremely proud of every single one of them. Uh, and it brings joy to me that even if I played just a very small 0.01% uh, part in that journey, I, I'm happy, you know. Yeah. It, it goes against the grain because I know a lot of um, other business owners who might say, oh, you know, this person went on then, oh, oh, you know, and, and they have kind of negative feelings towards that. But, but for me, honestly, I, I feel so much joy that, you know, do better, do greater, you know, than when you were in the studio. And I feel having that kind of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, an outlook really just brings joy, man, and it makes me so proud. Now, Gary, how do you measure growth? It could be year-to-year growth. Um, it could be however else you sort of compartmentalize and, and, and measure it. Um, but how do you know that, you know, over the past 11 years, you have grown? Mm, that's a good question. I like, I like to play the six-months game. Actually. Okay. Where you are right now, look back to six months ago. How have you grown in character? How have you grown in your state of mind? How have you grown in your finances and your health? If you can say with a surety that there is an evident change, good for you. You're on the right path. Hmm. But if you're still circling the same route and things are getting a bit stale and you're starting to get into this mode of making excuses and complaining, hey man, buck up. (laughs) So I think that measurement game is important because it makes something so abstract and qualitative and you put it within a quantitative uh, framework. Right. And would you say that 
you have grown um, tremendously over the past um, 11 years? Oh, definitely. Um, so, so much. And, and to be honest, obviously, you know, for one to actually just reflect upon oneself and say, I have grown, I, I think it's foolish. But then when you bounce it off the people who you love and are in your inner circle. So, you know, people like my wife who would have told me that, yeah, I would have grown in these specific areas. You know, uh, people who are like my best friends and my business mentors. And once they validate that six months to six months to six months to six months, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm so confident to say there is definitely growth within the last 11 years. Now, Gary, what's very interesting about talking to you is you are both a creative person and a very business um, person. How much does money or your revenue um, you know, factor into the way you measure your growth? Okay, that's a, <laughs> that's a really straightforward question, but I love that. Um, the answer would be yes and no. Okay. The yes, because the bottom line of any company's growth has to be revenue and profit margins. Right. Anybody can spin it how they like, but that is really the name of the game mm-hmm. of any company in a capitalistic market. Right. So, but no, because one can make a ton of money, but if everything else crumbles around it, what is the point? There needs to be balance and the building of an ecosystem which brings in the revenue sustainably. You know, to kind of like um, uh, elaborate on this, mm-hmm. recently on, on you know on Netflix, there is this thing called the Tinder uh, Tinder Swindler. Swindler. Yes, uh, and so there's a lot of documentaries right now about Ponzi schemes, con artists, and everything, and it's always about the pursuit of money, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole point of them and their measurement of success is really to get more money and more money and more money. And that's their measure of growth. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, that is why I feel that, yes, money is definitely a a primary factor, but it cannot be the only factor. Because if not, then what separates a good business from a Tinder swindler or an Anna Sorokin? What does it feel like doing something you love? Well, there's a sense of alignment and flow that things are in sync. And even when it's out of sync, when you realign it, it is as satisfying as when a chiropractor realigns the spine in your back. You you have this, uh, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly believe God has wired every single one of us to be in sync with something. Uh, if I may give you an illustration, mm-hmm. um, if to the audiences, listeners out there, have you ever had a subject in school which to you was so easy? It made common sense for you, but everybody, everybody else seemed to be struggling a little bit right. with it. Mm-hmm. You know? Or perhaps you could have played a sport and you simply excelled at it. You didn't even have to try too much. It just felt natural. You know? and, but you can see that other people, they had to train, they had to put in the work. So I think doing what we love is not about actually loving the job, but loving the sense of exploration of what is that wire which we're in sync with. Right. And for me, I'm just so thankful that film and the art of the motion picture is something that I know for a fact I am in sync with. So that is why, you know, um, I, I feel so in sync and in tune that this is something that I love doing. Now, I just have one more question before we wrap this conversation up. At the start of the of the show, you said that for you, when it comes to success, it's about you know sort of um, imagining um, 
um, talking to your future self or you know being on the on your deathbed and and you want to be able to say when you reflect that you've had a fruitful and blessed life mm-hmm. do you think you're at that stage yet right now where you can reflect and say you've had a fruitful blessed um life and and that you are a successful person <laughs> Great question. Yes and no also. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Dash, if I'm giving, you know, dual answers. No, no, it's been great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because honestly, I wouldn't change one single thing about my life right now. Mm-hmm. So if I were to have that conversation with, you know, my 70, 80-year-old self on the deathbed, I would then say that, hey, you know what? It's a lovely time to be alive. You know, being at the age of 35, 36, this was a great period. You know, it's, is it the golden age? You, to me, yes, it is, you know, and I'm so thankful. <laughs> But the no is because that 70-year-old, 80-year-old version of me on the deathbed will go, but what about your 10 feature films? Right. What about that, you know, going and doing that? Did you reach your financial number? Do you cross that financial number and then not do the 10 feature films because you were distracted by something? And, and that's why this exercise of, and really how it plays out is like, you know, a, a little Black Mirror episode. Because when that conversation happens, then I'm brought back to reality and go like, hey, you know what? I can be comfortable. I can be thankful. But I should still be motivated for something. And that something is not something which comes out on a weekly as a whim. But it's something which is set in stone. Gary, your 10 feature films, which you can fund it yourself without any creative Uh, interference. It doesn't matter whether the world may love it or hate it, but it's your voice. It's what you have to say. It's what your characters that you've been writing for the last, you know, 15 years of your life in that little notebook, which now is migrated over <laughs> to your Microsoft Word, and then now it's on the cloud. That needs to come to life. Right. So, so I think every day with that passion, with that motivation to reach that goal where I have that financial freedom to do my 10 feature films and you know really but my family everybody is taken care of i think that really drives me you know beyond the mountaintops yeah certainly i i really wish that you know comes a, it comes a day where i get to watch these um, feature films on the big screen <laughs> I, i'm really looking forward um, to that day on that on that note gary thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much dash it's been a pleasure That was Gary Chong. He's the founder of a production house, Gary Chong Studios. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can check out the podcast on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. You just have to look up Redefining Success. I'm Dashan Johan, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.